Welcome to Talking HR Compliance, a podcast made for small businesses. We're going to spend the next 15 minutes, give or take, talking about HR and employment law matters. But you probably know them better as those things you can never keep track of and are always causing you trouble. If that sounds like you, then you've come to the right place. Sit back and let our HR and employment law experts do the talking. Hello and welcome to the Talking HR Compliance Podcast. I'm Jamie Lizott, the HR and Tax Solutions Compliance Manager here at ComplyRight. And I have with us here today employment attorney Shanna Wall as well. So welcome, Shanna. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And thank you for being here. So everybody that's out there listening, um, we thank you again for listening to another episode of our podcast. And we want to let you know that these podcasts you're always joining at the right time because this is where we're going to keep you up to date with what's going on in HR and in the legal area of HR. So we want to make sure that you remain compliant so you can focus on growing your business. So we have quite a bit to go over this morning, so we're going to jump right into it. Again, we're just going to be touching on the key points with each of the topics. We're not going to go in-depth because that really could take all day. But uh, we are going to talk about how these issues may affect your business in the coming coming months um, so that you can be aware and be prepared. So um, let's jump into it then, Shanna. Um, Let's start with some updates with any government agencies that may be going on. Yeah, so at the beginning of the year, it's been pretty busy. Um, The Department of Labor has issued uh, quite a bit of final rules. Uh, One specifically that I want to discuss today is um, a new final rule on joint employers. So... um, This is very meaningful because it really has not been updated in the last 60 years. So um, this is kind of a new update. Um, The final rule is going to actually give a four-factor balancing test to determine joint employer status under the FLSA. Um, Obviously, the FLSA has been a very hot topic uh, lately with um, that the FLSA's new overtime rule just taking effect. Um, But this rule is going to clarify uh, when additional factors may be relevant for determining joint uh, employer status. Again, like you said, I can't go into all that, uh, the actual details, um, but just want to let everyone know that that new rule is actually going to start taking effect on March 16th of this year of 2020. Um, So if that may be something that affects you, please go check that out. Um, Also, uh, and this is important for nearly everyone, um, is uh, labor law postings. Everyone knows they have to have their posters hanging in their break rooms for their employees and things like that. Um, So there uh, actually is a new uh, final rule here as well to uh, increase posting violations. That's been released for 2020. Um, That's something that, you know, happens quite frequently. But uh, three of the uh, most popular uh, increases, um, posters that you would have to have are like your OSHA posters. Um, That increased uh, to $13,494 for a posting violation. Um, The FMLA posting requirement um, is going to increase up to... uh, $176 $176 for a violation. And the EPPA uh, posting uh, uh, violation um, penalty has increased to $21,410. So those are very significant. So uh, make sure that you're following all your posting requirements. That's federal, that's state, and local. So um, obviously these are just your federal ones that I'm discussing, but you know there are other penalties for other posters. So they can get very hefty if, if you're in violation. 
Um, OSHA has also been very busy. Um, they actually just sent out a text uh, in January reminding covered employers that they have their reporting window open now from January 2nd for employers to electronically submit their Form 308 data for the calendar year of um, 2019. The Form 300A is the summary of work-related industry and illnesses. Um, if you're not familiar with that, please make sure um, to check it out to make sure if you're a covered employer that you are following those. Um, the deadline for compliance on that is March 2nd, so you still have a little bit of time, but it is coming right up. Um, covered employers for reporting purposes uh, include employers with 250 or more uh, workers or employees uh, employers with two, uh, 20 to 249 employees in certain industries that have um, significantly uh, higher historic high rates um, of injury, such as construction, manufacturing, transportation, and healthcare. So um, if you might fall into one of those, make sure you are following these compliance rules here. Um, and also the penalties uh, for OSHA uh, has recently increased as well. Um, so their maximum penalties uh, for 2020 went up. Just like with those posting penalties um, increased by the DOL, is required to adjust um, the penalties uh, for inflation each year under the Inflation Adjustment Act. Um, penalties for violations are now, uh, they fall into two categories. So you have other than serious or uh Cat, um, the category, and those are 13494 for a violation, or if you fall into the repeat or willful ca uh, category, you can be looking up to um, $134,937 now. So those are increases as well that just took place. We also have um, updates um, to the enforcement exemptions and limitations. Uh, so OSHA recently re released a new list of industries that may be exempt from OSHA enforcement or where enforcement actually may be limited. So if you think you might fall into one of those, please check that out as well. Um, moving on to the EEOC, workplace discrimination data for 2019 was released, um, and that's a breakdown of workplace discrimination charges that, it, uh, that the EEOC received in uh, the 2019 fiscal year. Um, so the total number of charges that they received were over 72,000. Most of those charges were for retaliation, um, which ac uh, accounted for over 50% of the total. Um, and then it was followed up by disability, race, and sex. And all of those were slightly over 30% of the total charges. Now, if you're good at math, which I sometimes am not, you would know that that was actually over um, 100%, which kind of seems weird. But the reason for that is that some of those charges actually overlap so uh, a person might put in a charge for retaliation, but they might also include disability or race in that same charge. So that's why those totals actually equal over 100. Um, and then finally, the other uh, new development that is, that's going to affect most uh, employers is that the uh, USCIS has released their new I-9 form um, that was released on January 31st, uh, 2020. Employers can use their old form until the end of April, but after that date, employers can only use the new form that has the uh, October 21st, 19 version date. And uh, the form and instructions have some minor changes, so make sure that you're checking those out. Um, and then there's also a revised Spanish version that was also released um, that can be used in Puerto Rico only. 
The complexity of posting compliance requirements continues to multiply. In fact, local postings are the newest and fastest growing area of compliance today. If your city or county doesn't require specific postings yet, it probably will soon. With PosterGuard Compliance Protection Service, you can have peace of mind knowing you are covered from all directions all year. Their in-house legal team continually monitors more than 22,000 cities and counties, in addition to federal and state agencies to provide you with unmatched labor law poster service. Head over to PosterGuard.com to learn more. So that's what uh, is going on with all those government agencies right now. All right. Well, that's definitely a lot there. And there are a few things I just want to recap because there are two things that Shanna really hit on that would affect pretty much every business that is out there. And that's the new I-9 she just talked about. So make sure that you do have your I-9 because everybody that is hiring, you are authorized to make sure that the applicants that you are hiring are authorized to work in the U.S. So that is a mandatory form that everybody that works in your company needs to have filled out and you have to have on file. And the other thing are the labor law postings. Every company, again, if you have employees in your company, you know you need to have those labor law postings. So you want to make sure that you have the up-to-date postings. Everybody says, no, it's not going to happen to me, but look at those hefty fines and the increases that are happening. Well, you definitely don't want it to be you. So just make sure you're in compliance and you're making sure that your posters are updated. So let's move on now, um, Shanna, to federal legislative updates. What do we have going on in that area? So we we have seen some new bills being introduced um, in the areas of employment law, um, but two specifically that I want to mention today. Uh, there's one that the House just passed, um, and it's called the Protecting Older Workers Against Discrimination Act, and that bill would allow a person to sue for age discrimination even if age was not the sole cause of the adverse employment action. Um, so that's that's a new change because a lot of times, you know, you have to be able to prove that age was the reason that you were uh, terminated or um, some other adverse uh, action. Um, so that bill is going to, would change that standard. Um, but uh, the, again, the Senate is not likely to even take up that bill at this time. And even if it did and passed the Senate, um, the White House has uh, announced that it would veto that bill, which all but ensures that this uh, would not become law at this time. But it is something to keep an eye out on. Because, um, again, things that don't actually happen federally tend to take place in state law uh, changes. So that's something you want to keep an eye out on. Um, another bill um, that was introduced is a pregnancy accommodation bill. And that bill would um, clarify protections for pregnant workers under federal law and um, basically would provide uh, reasonable accommodations for pregnant workers, such as water breaks, uh, more frequent restrooms, um, and things like that. And that bill was approved uh, by a committee in the House um, at, at this moment. And again, um, many states already have those kinds of laws on their books, um, but this would be uh, for federal. All right. And uh, one thing that Shanna mentioned is, you know, it might not happen at the federal level. And that's what we're seeing. Uh, We actually were pretty busy here with some federal updates this morning. But we're seeing a lot of stuff happen in the state law. So let's move on to any state law updates where that's really where we're seeing a lot of the busyness happen. Yeah, I'm going to start with paid leave because that's a hot topic. Uh, We're seeing more and more bills introduced there. Um, But one um, law that uh, one that has become law is um, in Tennessee, 
for state employees. So um, Governor uh, Bill Lee has signed an uh, executive order um, that provides paid family leave for state employees, um, and that was going to become effective March 1st, um, 2020. Uh, that's all I have at this point, but I'm sure we'll have some more updates on paid leave as, as the year progresses. Um, so moving on to like a discrimination topic. Uh, last year, if you've followed any of our other podcasts, you've, you've kind of heard uh, a new trend that we're seeing um, on hair discrimination. Um, you know, we've seen states like uh, California and New York, um, New Jersey, all passing laws on uh, hair discrimination. So now we have a city, um, Toledo, Ohio, uh, and they admitted their anti-discrimination law to prohibit discrimination based on natural hair types, um, styles, or head wraps that are typically associated with race, culture, or religion. Um, and that law became effective on January 10th, 2020. And... Um, in Brookhaven, Georgia, they just recently um, pro, uh, passed a new law that prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, that was a very popular uh, discrimination laws that were getting passed in the past few years, but that kind of slowed down because you know so many places have already passed it. Um, but again, uh, we also saw, like I mentioned a few podcasts ago, um, there was a federal law actually. Um, I'm sorry, a federal bill that was um, introduced on that that has not been passed yet, but that's out there as well um, to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. And don't forget, we still have that Supreme Court ruling we're waiting on um, whether Title VII is going to um, actually uh, include sexual orientation and gender identity as well. So we'll keep you updated on that. But for right now, Brookhaven, Georgia, you, um, employers are no longer allowed to discriminate based on sexual orientation and gender identity. That um, becomes effective approximately um, February 14th. How appropriate, right? Yeah. It's the day of love. So why discriminate, you know, uh, accept everybody and stuff. So I like that. Okay. Good job, Brookhaven. Okay. So moving on to minimum wage, um, Connecticut uh, has uh, passed a new law that apl- applies to tipped employees. So the governor there signed a bill called an act concerning the workforce training needs um, in the Senate and uh, revisions to and uh, regulations of gratuities permitted or applied as part of the minimum fair wage. That is a very long title. Um, So basically, this new law affects the uh, Connecticut tip credit regulations in the service industry. And it mandates that the state's minimum wage law incorporates the 80-20 or um, the 20% tip rule, uh, among other things. But obviously, I'm just touching on on the uh, the basics here. Um, In Hayward, California, the city has um, also announced raises to the minimum wage. And what they do is they break theirs down uh, between large employers and small employers. So they consider large employers to be uh, employers with 26 or more employees, and that minimum wage will be $15 per hour uh, starting July 1st, 2020, and then it will be adjusted upward each July based on the Consumer Price Index, also known as the CPI. Uh, for small, smaller employers, um, 25 or fewer employees, the uh, minimum wage will be $14 per hour on July 1st, 2020, and then it will be adjusted annually based on that CPI until um, January 23rd, 2023. Um, And the reason for that is because that's when the California's minimum wage um, of $15 for small uh, employees takes effect. 
So it'll be raised from $14 up to uh, that $15 by at least January 23rd, 2023. Um, and remember, if you're in the, the city of Hayward, um, you also have posting requirement for that too. So, um, okay. So then New Jersey has been very, very busy um, early this year. Uh, so the first law I'm going to discuss uh, there is uh, about wage payments. Uh, it's a wage payment law. Um, so now New Jersey is going to require employers with 10 or more employees to provide employees with certain information regarding their wages um, on during every pay period. Uh, specifically, employers may um, provide the employees gross wages, their net wages, um, pay rate, and number of hours worked in the pay period um, if that's applicable for them. You know, you can stick this in with their paychecks or, or however, but it does need to be provided every pay period. Uh, moving on to overtime. Um, so California, or I'm sorry, Colorado has uh, updated their overtime and minimum pay standards order. Um, so that is, uh, what that does is it replaces the old um, Colorado minimum wage order. Um, and this new overtime rule is going to apply to all industries. Uh, and basically what it does is it raises the minimum salary required to be exempt from wage protections, um, which will gradually be adjusted up to $55,000 um, by 2024. Remember, under the FLSA, um, your minimum salary requirement now, starting in January, was $35,568. Uh, so that's going to, um, it, by 2024, be up to 55000 if you're in Colorado. Uh, so you want to pay attention to that. And it also clarifies wage rules that have been the source of many, of confusion for many employers and employees. Uh, this new uh, law is going to be effective March 16th, 2020. And this too also has a posting requirement. So if you're in Colorado, you want to pay attention to that. Um, again, I just mentioned New Jersey has been busy. So another um, law that they passed is regarding the misclassification of employees. Um, so in New Jersey... Employers may face penalties of up to uh, $250 per employee for the first violation and up to $1,000 per employee for, subs uh, for subsequent violations. The New Jersey tax laws were also amended to create joint liability for violations of worker compensation laws, gross income tax laws, unemployment laws, and temporary disability benefits laws between employers and contractors for um, the contractors' employers our employees and their subcontract subcontractors. Also, this new law allows the Department of Labor and Workforce Development to post the names of people and employers that violate these wage benefits and tax laws, and um, and employers that violate these wage benefits laws, um, they can be issued stop work orders um, for those violations as well. And these laws actually took effect immediately upon the governor's signature, so the, that law is actually already in effect. Uh, another New Jersey law that just passed um, is about mass layoffs, also known as the WARN laws. So it's the New Jersey WARN, W-A-R-N, um, and that will go in, the new law goes into effect July 19th, 2020. So basically starting in July 19, uh, 2020, the New Jersey WARN um, laws will be triggered when uh, an employer terminates uh, 50 or more employees, regardless of the tenure um, or hours of work, aggregating all terminations across the state and regardless of where uh, within the state the termination occurs. 
covered employers will be required to provide employees with not less than 90 days notice um, before the termination of employment occurs as a result of a qualifying mass layoff or termination um, or transfer of operations. Uh, the previous version of the law required 60 days notice, so that's an increase from 60 to 90 days. Um, and now severance pay will also um, be automatic. Uh, under the previous law, the previous uh, New Jersey Warren law, it mandated severance pay only if the employer failed to give that 60 days notice. Now, if the New Jersey Warren is uh, triggered, an employer must pay all terminated employees severance pay of one week, for each year of employment, in addition to providing that 90 days warn notice. If full warn notice is not given, the severance obligation is increased by four weeks of pay. Um, and so this New Jersey this new New Jersey warn law will now apply to employers with at least 100 employees, regardless of tenure or hours of work. The previous um, only applied to employers with at least 100 full-time employees, so that has been increased as well. Um, and now all employees will be counted. So if, if you're going to need to um, do some layoffs and you're in New Jersey, make sure that you are checking this out as well. Um, leave laws. Again, we talked about paid sick um, being a hot topic going forward. I think we'll also see some leave laws um, becoming hot topics as well. Um, but in New Jersey specifically, uh, dealing with organ and bone marrow donations, the, their temporary disability benefits law was amended to provide job protections um, to employees during a period of disability due to a donation of any uh, organ or bone marrow donation, and that's going to be effective May 20th, 2020. Um, also, that new law is going to give tax benefits to employees and their employers um, who donate an organ or bone marrow and provides paid time off um, to state and local government employees uh, under that law. Um, and then finally, I'm going to wrap up with two that we see nearly every uh, every month when we do these podcasts or so, uh, Band the Box and Salary History, which applies to um, most of your um, your job applications um, in regards whether you can ask about an applicant's um, criminal history or their salary history. Um, so for Band the Box um, in Maryland, it's going to apply to all employers with 15 or more full-time employee, employees. Um, this law was actually, uh, it, this law was passed last year, but what happened was the governor, um, vetoed it. And then the, the state legislature ha has just overridden that veto so that the law can, can, um, take effect. Uh, basically it's again, employers can't ask about criminal records or criminal accusations before the, uh, first in-person interview. So, you know, your criminal question needs to be removed from your job applications. That's the important part of this law. And also, um, St. Louis, Missouri has just passed their ban the box law. It's going to apply to all employers located within the city um, if there are 10 or more employees. Um, again, it's going to prohibit employers from asking about an applicant's criminal history until after the applicant is interviewed and has been um, determined to be otherwise qualified. So that's a little bit later in the process than Maryland's, but still not at the job application stage. Um, but that law doesn't actually take effect until January 1st of 2021. So you have almost a full year to get ready for that. And then finally, with the salary history, um, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania was actually the first place to pass this law. Um, but that law has been on hold due to a bunch of um, litigation over it. 
Um, so the most recent update on that is that an appeals court has just re- uh, reversed the lower court's um, preliminary injunction that stopped the city from enforcing their salary history ban. Um, but the city has just released a statement that it will announce its plans for enforcement um, in the future. So we still don't have a date as to when that's going to be effective. Um, so for the time being, uh, employers in Philadelphia still can ask an applicant about their salary history, um, but we're going to keep an eye on that for you. Um, and once that law does go into effect and is enforced, that will also have a posting requirement. All right. Well, thank you, Shanna, for sharing. That's definitely a lot. And uh, as you can see, there are there were quite a few federal em- changes and and things that are happening in the federal area right now. But most importantly, it's at the state and city level. And we can't stress it enough how important it is that you make sure you're paying attention to that. And that's why we're here. So to check in um, on what's going on uh, with the laws that affect your business, federally, state, locally, check in with us. And that way you can look further, um, ask an attorney or anything like that to follow up and make sure you're in compliance. But we'll always be sure to bring you exactly what's trending in the news today in HR and in compliance. Um, And we're at the end of today's Talking HR Compliance podcast. So again, I want to thank you for tuning in, listening to us after each podcast and continuing to listen to us. And I want to thank Shanna for being here with us each time, sharing these news or the news and the trending things that are happening in the federal legislation, as well as all the way down to the state and local. So thank you, Shanna, for being here. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you to all our listeners, and we hope you're more current and comfortable with what's happening. And until next time, happy complying. Don't miss any future episodes of Talking HR Compliance. If you want more, you can subscribe, review, share with your friends. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thanks for listening to Talking HR Compliance.